Good morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. This week, the Torah portion is a dual portion. It's known as Tazria and Mitzorah. Tazria Mitzorah. It is a double portion. Because as we have spoken about on other occasions on Jewish faith and Jewish facts, there are, during the Jewish leap year, an extra month. And in non-Jewish leap years, there is one fewer month. When there are one fewer month, the four Torah portions that exist to accommodate the extra months have to be doubled up. So our Torah portion is called Tazria Mitzorah. Tazria begins in Leviticus 12.1 and continues through chapter 13. We find in this Torah portion some very interesting things that relate to both the Jewish community and the situation we find ourselves in during the coronavirus pandemic. The Torah portion begins the following way. God spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel regarding the rituals concerning childbirth of a boy. A mother shall be in the state of uncleanliness for seven days. Upon the eighth day, the flesh of a male baby's foreskin is to be circumcised. For 33 days, the mother shall be in a state of purification and may not be in contact with any holy thing or area. The girl is born. The mother remains unclean for two weeks, and for 66 days, she will be in a state of purification. At the end of this time, she is to make offerings at the tent of appointed meeting. Following this indication of birth rituals, the Torah portion goes on to say, when a person has a swelling, rash, burn, scaly eruption, discoloration, or any other kind of distortion of the skin, it shall be reported to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons. The priest shall examine the skin for the contagious disease and pronounce the person clean or unclean. For the person with the disease, the person's clothes shall be torn, his head shall be disheveled, and he shall cover his upper lip and shall call out, Unclean, unclean. The person shall be unclean as long as the disease is upon him. Being unclean, he shall dwell apart. The clothes of the individual must be examined by the priest and declared clean or unclean. The clothes which are capable of being made clean may be washed until they are fully clean, and those that are unclean must be burned in a fire. That concludes the parasha known as Tazria. But as I suggested, there is a second Torah portion. This one is known as Mitzorah. And it goes on to say in Leviticus 14.1 through Leviticus 15.33, God spoke to Moses saying, this is the instruction on how to purify the individual who is already healed. 
when the time is right, a priest shall go outside the camp to the person's area and confirm if the sick person is healed. The priest shall then make a sacrifice with two clean living birds. One bird is to be killed with ritual, while the other is to be set free in open country. The healed person must wash his clothes, shave off his hair, and bathe in water. Then he shall be clean enough to enter the camp, but he must remain outside his tent for seven days. On the seventh day, he cleans himself again. On the eighth day, the individual makes a sacrifice of lambs and flour and oil, and it all shall be presented before God at the entrance of the tent of meeting. The priest shall ritually slaughter the lambs and use their blood and the flour and oil to make wave offerings, sin offerings, burnt offerings, guilt offerings for the leper who is to be cleansed. With ritual and ceremony, the priest shall make expiation for him before God, and then he shall be totally clean. The Torah portion then changes... And says the following, when you enter the land of Canaan, I will inflict this disease upon a house there. The owner shall come and tell the priest of the affliction. The priest must examine the house and pronounce the home clean or unclean. Originally, we were talking about illnesses related to human beings. Now we're talking about a disease of the house. Unclean parts must be removed and replaced with clean materials. If the whole house is unclean, the house shall be torn down and its materials shall be taken to an unclean place outside the city. Once again, when all of this has been done, the priest will inspect the house and declare it clean or unclean. This Torah portion concludes with God saying to Moses and Aaron, tell the people about the laws of bodily fluids. Tell the people there is a time when they will be clean in a spiritual sense and a time when they will be unclean. And there are specific rituals to transform a man and a woman from unclean to ritual clean. Well, this is a very unusual set of portions talking about cleanliness. It's understood by most to mean ritual cleanliness, not necessarily physical cleanliness, but certainly the question of disease um, is something that's on our minds and the question of Cleaning and preparing to return to the community is on our minds. With me this morning to discuss these challenging Torah portions is Rabbi Reuven Bolka, the Rabbi Emeritus of Moxiki Hadas Congregation in Ottawa, Canada. Rabbi Bolka is well known throughout the Canadian Jewish world. He is an author of over 30 books. He is founder of the Journal of Psychology and Religion. 
and is instrumental in uh, starting an organization that promotes uh, good deeds between human beings. Rabbi Boko, welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. Welcome. Great to be here again with you. It is a pleasure. Um, this morning, we're going to talk about two very challenging Torah portions, known as Tazria and Nitzora. Uh And the first Torah portion is known as Tazria, and it begins with the description of how the Torah stands uh, birth and what ceremonies shall be uh, part of acknowledging the birth of a child, be it a boy or a girl. And I'm wondering how you understand the difference between the welcoming of a boy and the welcoming of a girl. Yeah, good, good question. Actually, in, in, the, um, in, the, in the way the Torah has it, uh, we have um, for a... Uh, uh, a if the, if the birth was of a girl, then there are two weeks of distancing, physical distancing between husband and wife, and then uh, 66 days of connection. With the boy, it's seven days of distancing and 33 days of, of connection, which goes back to the old rules about um, when a husband and wife are allowed to physically engage with each other. So the idea that um, there's time off after birth makes a lot of sense because uh, you can imagine that uh, a woman having given birth, it's hard for us, we're, we're both males, but we know from experience that it's not easy, and uh, it's, uh, it's, it's not called labor for nothing. And so they, we can assume that uh, all sorts of really intense physical contact would not be even in the offing during the immediate uh, aftermath of the birth. So the idea of there being a mandated distancing is probably a good protection uh, so that the man knows, even if you may be in the mood, your wife is not, so uh, stay away at least, uh, not on the emotional level, but on a physical level. So then we get to the question of why a girl 14 and 66 and a boy, seven and thirty-three. So, uh, from the negative, and say why, after a girl's birth, there's a fourteen-day distance, but then a sixty-six-day uh, intense period of, of connection. So, what do we emphasize? The, the days of separation or the days of connection? So, I choose to look at it from the point of view of sixty-six days of connection as opposed to a guy thirty-three. The, the general uh, assumption in all of this is that, yes, there is a separation for valid reasons, but then uh, that once that abates and a person is a, bit, in a little bit of a, uh, a better mindset, so then we say now we have mandated, not mandated isolation, but ma mandated connection. So it, it's a nice way of saying, yes, uh, know your limits here, uh, this has happened, respect the boundaries, respect the woman for what she's gone through. And there are those that suggest that the reason why it's double for a woman is because it gets to the whole idea of 
that Hebrew word tamei, which is always mistranslated uh, as uh, unclean, but it really doesn't mean that. It means something about physical distancing. And I've seen How would one you understand that? That's an in- Rabbi, that's an interesting interpretation that tamei, um, you suggested doesn't mean unclean or even ritually unclean, but you're saying it has more to do with the whole notion of distance. Yeah, separate this, right? And there is a suggestion that um, whenever something leaves us that's part of our corpus, that it renders us, uh, or let's say if we come in contact with the absence of life. So biblically, the highest, the most intense case of distancing is a person uh, touched the uh, person who had passed away. So it's like a loss of life. So there are those that suggest that when a person, when a woman gives birth, basically some life has left her, even though it's not going to be an autonomous life, but in her own body she's experiencing something that has left her. Uh, And so you have this distancing, which is more in in a form of, okay, we contemplate now uh, the new reality, and because of the fact that a woman herself can give birth, so this is why it's suggested that for her, the period for a, if the birth was of a girl, so the period of distancing is double the amount because it's not only a life that has left, but it's also a life that can give birth to other lives. So this is very interesting. This goes back a long time in terms of understanding this. This is not an apologetics for the 21st century, more an idea that um, whenever a human being comes in touch with the absence of life, uh, we presume, and if, and if it doesn't happen, we almost like insist on, don't take this as a cavalier, so what, business as usual. It's got to shake you to the core. Uh, and to to understand that absence of life is uh, a very serious thing, and ritual distancing is a nice way of saying, okay, you can't get involved in in those activities. Remember those days you didn't have internet and and Facebook and all that stuff. So you have to then contemplate your new reality and say, okay, I came in contact with the absence of life. What is that uh, going to mean to me? What's going to be its impact on me? Am I going to be the same? Or am I going to learn from it how precious life is? So that's why I always had this difficulty about um, understanding being Tame as uh, being unclean. It had nothing to do with cleanliness. It could be the cleanest It could be Purell yourself all the way through that time. It has nothing to do with being clean or not. So I, I appreciate, and I'm sure our listeners appreciate the clarification I want to, um, the Torah portion begins by restating the commandment of circumcision. Right. Um, it doesn't give it any context. Um, it doesn't speak about it as um, a sign of covenant. Um, why is the Torah so uh, minimalistic? about its understanding of this commandment of uh, circumcision again. Um, And there really isn't a uh, parallel to women. And I don't want to talk about whether uh, the issue of equality, but it is interesting to me that the notion of separation between a man and women uh, and the birth of 
a boy or a girl are mentioned. Okay, but then they have this circumcision that seems to be inserted into conversation that doesn't flow with the rest of it. I'm wondering how to understand that. It's very interesting. So, a very, very wise question. So, it's actually interpolated almost. It said if she's giving birth, so seven days she's distant, um, right? And on the eighth day, she's no more distant. So, it's as if the, uh, the Torah is suggesting as follows. Um, give her the time, and then at the earliest moment that the child is eligible for the circumcision, which really is an intrusion on his equilibrium, you and, uh, and your husband will be together. In other words, you got the seven days of distance, the eighth day, when there is this, uh, this circumcision, you and your husband can hold hands and, and, and hold on to each other as, as this is happening. And it's interesting to note that the language of the Bible in this one is more, it's not directed at any individual. It says, on the eighth day, the child's foreskin uh, shall... To say who does, uh, we know, uh, you know, from other sources where who's supposed to be doing it. Ideally, the the, the father, uh, but if the father doesn't, so he delegates someone who's acting on his behalf. It just says it is going to be done. It says it's as if the Bible is telling us that this is a uh, a necessary, but also at the very same time traumatic time, and each of the uh, uh, of the parents needs the support of the other. So seven days away, the eighth day, when the child is entering into the covenant, you guys are back together again. And I understand that, but why does the text not remind the reader, the people of Israel, about the covenantal um, importance of circumcision um, I, I would think uh, I would think that this already had been done way back in the Abrahamic time when this whole concept was introduced and this is more like a by the way and here the circumcision thing is is introduced not for its own sake but only to emphasize how the togetherness of, of the husband and wife is synchronized around the circumcision in other words, the circumcision here is not even a major thing, because the major thing right. here is the husband and the wife, the birth, and their relationship. Um, well, it's an interesting interpretation, and, and I don't want to belittle the topic. I just find it fascinating that Shabbat is certainly mentioned more than once, um, and there are other injunctions in the Torah, that the holidays, for example, are observe are mentioned the observance of the holidays are mentioned more than once and each time there's a larger explanation um, for the reminder um, and here you're right it seems to be simply an insertion into as you've described a discussion about uh, marital relations um, and how continue uh, after uh, the birth of a child. Very interesting. Now, in, this, in these two Torah portions, 
there's this uh, fascinating, fascinating for us today, you find ourselves uh, homebound by the response of the pandemic of coronavirus, um, about how uh, disease can impact the community. Um, and there are many conversations in these tutorial portions about self-isolation and who shall declare cleanliness. Um, as someone who's dealt with a number of issues related to medical ethics and the Jewish tradition, how do you see, how do you read these two Torah portions in light of the unusual circumstances we find ourselves in uh, as you and I are speaking this morning? Yeah, fascinating question. You know, uh, I should say parenthetically, one of, I remember when I went to school to Yeshiva, and we were learning about this idea of, of an outbreak in a house, right, where, where the uh, priest, the uh, Kohen, has, uh, you say, if, it, if it's an um, outbreak which is of the nature that it has to, the house has to be destroyed, the Kohen, he basically orders that it, that it is destroyed. And I remember kids at that point in time who were cynically saying, come on. Whoever heard of, of an outbreak in a house? And, and it was if they you know the cynical saying this couldn't really happen, or that it could be on clothing or something like that. But here we are living in the 21st century. It's happening right before us. So I always find this fascinating in light of what I remember from, from my school days. Uh, but uh, here, uh, I, I, don't wanna, I don't think that there is a direct comparison between that and, and COVID-19. Um, the, uh, the question, of course, a, a lot of in, uh, translations of it have it as leprosy. It's pretty clear that it's not. There's something totally different uh, because there's no contagion involved in it. Um, and it's something which is actually not even necessarily medical because it is adjudicated not by a doctor but by a priest. By the Kohen. Yeah. So uh, there are many, including Maimonides, who suggest that this is a spiritual illness. You know, that there's this whole business about the Hebrew word for it is Mitzorah, which is to some, uh, the short version of Motsi Shemra, which is to say uh, people spreading false rumors about others and shaming them uh, with lies and defamation. Uh, slander. So uh, it's interesting that yes, for, they, for our listeners, just um, in the Hebrew, mitzorah is a variant of the word saara, and the first portion of this week is called saara tazria, and the second is mitzorah. And the ancient rabbis um, wanted to understand the distinction that the Torah made between these two uh, variants of the same root word. And so they reinterpreted, as Rabbi Bolka has uh, authored, that Mitzorah really is an acronym, a uh, abbreviation for Motsi Shemra, three words, um, which translate into um, gossip. And that the Torah portion, as the rabbi suggested, 
is really um, not talking about an illness, a physical illness or a physical uh, intervention in the house, but that gossip uh, makes unclean the uh, house itself. I think that would be fair, yes? Yeah, very. And, and my favorite part of this is the optimism that, that it sort of uh, projects, which uh, going to the one which is in uh, chapter uh, 14, uh, verses, starting with verse 33 and going to verse 34, 45, it talks about when, when the people of Israel will come into their land and there will be, uh, and, and it says that God made a promise to them, <laughs> which is very, probably uh, uh, people will be stunned by this. I promise you that there's going to be this Mitzora outbreak in the house. Yeah. Hey, something to look forward to, right? Here we are going. So it says, as the rabbi says, when you enter the land of Canaan that I give you, I, am, I will inflict an eruptive plague upon the house. Right. Land oh, you this, yeah, so it's, it's crazy. This is what we have to look forward to. It's a real enticement to go in. But there is an interesting rabbinic interpretation of this in that if the house is going to be destroyed, uh, the, the, the people that cleared out uh, were um, may have sort of hid uh, their possessions in the walls of the house uh, for when they, then for when they were going to be coming back and uh, and 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 conquering the land again. So, in in effect, by tearing down the house, you may find uh, some hidden treasures. So, it, to me, it's an interesting thing because it says that if anything bad happens, uh, there may be a light at the end of the tunnel. There may be something good that's going to come out of it. So that's why it's almost like a promise. It's a, it's a nice way of saying, even if something bad happens, uh, that bad may have some good in it. So uh, I, I take this as a very important lesson for what's happening now, which is it's a crummy thing. No matter how you slice it, people are losing jobs. People are losing their wherewithal. People are going stir-crazy in their homes. All sorts of bad things. But there's also a lot of good things that are happening, a lot of kindness. And, there, and, and as you suggest, there have been people who've responded uh, right. with great uh, uh, thanks and great offerings of gratitude. Uh, Rabbi right. Bolton, so, on behalf of all the listeners, I want to thank you for sharing your erudition and helping us understand a very, very difficult set of Torah portions for Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. You can hear a rebroadcast um, of our show as a podcast on iTunes or on the chri.ca website. For both Rabbi Ruben Bolka and myself, I wish you good morning, stay safe, and shalom. Behold, for